0: All
1: right, let's talk about that amazing game last night. I know it's so disappointing for people over here on the West Coast that, you know, the Canucks aren't in the playoffs anymore. And if it's any, it's a small, small consolation to, of course, watch the Toronto Raptors. But, boy, I did that last night and was rewarded with an amazing game. It was do or die for the Raptors because if they lost, they were out. It was game six against the Boston Celtics, and they were down three games to two. Well... They forced a game seven and it was extraordinary. And I'm just willing to bet that the city of Toronto right now is so jazzed up about this. So we thought, let's find out. Joining us now is Marianne Deman, who's the Global News Toronto reporter.
2: Good morning, Marianne. Good morning. Yes, I actually managed to sleep after last night's game, surprisingly. (laughs) Probably not the case for a lot of other Raptors fans, though, I have to say, here in the city. What a game last night. Oh,
1: it was so fantastic. And I can only imagine, like, in this, it's tough right now, right? Because people can't gather the way they normally would to watch these. So how are fans dealing with that?
2: Yes, the arena, Scotiabank Arena here in downtown Toronto, definitely collecting dust, those seats. But, you know, fans, where there is a will... There is a way. We normally had the Jurassic Park just out of the just outside of the arena. We called it uh, Jurassic Park. Now it's a Jurassic parking lot um, just in another location away from the arena where people are watching from the safety of their cars, the game unfolding on a huge screen. And last night there were hundreds of cars there. Everyone cheering. You can imagine when the Raptors won the game last night, the honking that would have been echoing throughout the night. Um, as everyone was celebrating one woman was saying that she had been praying <laughs> she, you know the that's the one thing you have to love about sports fans it, the, the amazing clips you get after a win yeah no kidding right <laughs> how how they're just so enthused about
1: everything yeah. at that point point. Oh. and so yeah. keeping fans kind of in a controlled setting like that like in their cars and not out of jurassic park and all that has that been challenging at all
2: No, fans, um, they've all been really following the rules. They're wearing their masks in their car, some of them. They're there with their little kids. Everyone's staying inside or they're tailgating, and they're making sure that they're parked far enough away from the other vehicle. So it's been, so far, so good for these fans who are watching. And it's not just here in Toronto, other parts of the greater Toronto area. People are gathering in big lots to watch the game unfold on big screens. So, knock on wood, things have been going pretty well. It's a nice... Plan B, considering the circumstances. No
1: kidding. All right, but let's talk about this Game 7, which is going to be um, extraordinary because everybody's going to be watching this thing. I would imagine that that's kind of amped up feelings in the city of Toronto today.
2: Oh, my gosh, yes. And, you know, you'd think you wouldn't be able to see the smiles behind the masks, but you can tell who the Raptors said. <laughs> <been. laughs> the smizing, you would not believe. That's Everyone awesome. Everyone that we have seen, spoken to this morning they are talking about the game even people who I didn't stop to talk to I can overhear them talking about the game they are so excited after last night's win especially since the game started off a little bit slow for the Raptors and then Kyle Lowry started pounding out those points 33 and what 53 minutes for him so an exhausting game for him and the Raptors yes. but everybody was loving the show you and know they
1: I, yeah. I know that often people say, Marianne, that, oh, the Toronto Raptors don't get the respect that they deserve, right, from all the rest of the league and down in the States. I did notice it last night with Kyle Lowry just having that amazing performance, so many big time like basketball players who are no longer in the playoffs saying Kyle Lowry is the man. Like just saying, you know, many of them saying this guy deserves way more respect than he oh, yeah. actually gets.
2: Yeah, and my cameraman was telling me this morning that there will be a statue outside of Scotland <laughs> Arena. I'm sure there's going to be statues, posters, yeah. and the paraphernalia that's going to come out of this, t- more t-shirts. Oh, I'm um, sure. T- people, people are going to be naming their babies Kyle. <laughs> I'm sure they are.
1: Well, it's going to be very exciting. Listen, Marianne, good luck. Thanks so much. We will all be watching. Oh, we will be. That is Mary Antiman is a reporter with Global News Toronto talking about how amped up the city of Toronto is today and why wouldn't they be after that game last night? You know, people were starting to count the Raptors out because they had some pretty awful games against the Boston Celtics. It's only the second round of the playoffs. They're the defending champs and people thought, well... I guess time's up. Well, they have been fighting their way back game by game, and now it is a Game 7 that looks like it's going to go Saturday at this point, point. Um, and it's just going to be amazing, I'm sure. So good luck to them, and great to hear that fans are still finding a way to kind of celebrate the way they were doing here in Vancouver as well. I should say Metro Vancouver because the location was all out in Surrey, people driving by and honking their horns and doing the socially distancing, celebrating fans will always find a way. Right. And clearly we all need a little something to cheer about right now. And it's nice that the Toronto Raptors are helping us do that too. So good luck to them this weekend.
0: This is mornings with Simmy.
1: There's a definite feeling out there on the roads that we are, you know, back To normal since before this pandemic began traffic has certainly ramped up once again and now with kids back in school as of today you can expect that once again we have to start paying attention to those uh, school safety zones right make sure that we are slowing down but we thought let's get a refresher about all the things that we need to remember so joining us now is sean pettipas who's the bcaa's director of community engagement sean thanks for being here
3: Hi, Sammy. Thanks for having me. It's
1: kind of strange, right? We haven't had to think about this for a long time.
3: It's been a little while since the kids have been back in school regularly, but it all starts today.
1: Okay, so what I guess speeding through a school zone is probably the number one thing we should remind people about, right?
3: Speeding in school zones. I mean, there's a there's a ton of infractions that do go on and it all stems from a fact that people all descend on this one little area of the school at one time in the, in the day and they they just want to get through it and they want to get their, their kids off safe. But what happens is that, you know, people don't follow the rules of the road and school zones actually turn quite dangerous.
1: Yeah, I know so it's really good to highlight that today to make people remember that you need to slow down out there. Um what else do we need to remind people about? Like I think they're probably stressed out today. Maybe give them a little bit of extra time.
3: You know, every year this this happens and and we see these kinds of things going on in school zones and we see the dangers that do occur, but we think that this year it could be even more dangerous because you know the rules are a little bit different than in the past. There could be staggered bell times, new entry procedures. Uh, But at the end of the day, the same thing remains the same is that the safety of the kids is what matters most. And drivers just need to stay calm, take it easy and and get through it together. And that way we'll we'll keep all of our kids safe.
1: Yeah, this is such a stressful day, I think, for a lot of people. Do we, does that make us nervous, do you think, especially when we're driving?
3: I think it makes us nervous because there's an air of uncertainty today. We, We are told of these new procedures and where you can drop off your children and where you can't um things are quite different um but you know if you want to keep your kids safe there's some simple advice that we can give if that's okay
1: yeah go right ahead
3: so the the first thing you can do is just build in some extra time if you have uncertainty and you're not quite sure the worst thing we can do is is rush through that school zone so build in some extra time leave a little bit early and, and release some of that pressure um Always expect the unexpected. There's there's going to be maybe a, a child darting out from behind a car or or a bus or or a pedestrian or a cyclist. So if you're alert and you're and you're and you're very vigilant, uh, you you can be a lot more safe. Uh, and it goes back to basics too. Just follow those school zone rules. Go to where the pickup is supposed to be. Go to where your drop off is supposed to be. Uh, and just. Follow the rules. Avoid those common mistakes like don't double park. Don't stop on a crosswalk. (laughs) Definitely don't speed. Remember what those speed limits are in every school zone is 30 kilometers an hour. And finally, just focus on what you can control, because you can't control that person in front of you. You can't control the person who may have done something that you didn't like or or maybe even cut you off. Uh, You can only control on what you can do. So stay stay calm, stay safe and, and just get through it.
1: No, Sean, I had to have a chuckle there when you were talking because I thought, have you ever done the school drop off and pick up? I love the part where you say, make sure you go where you're supposed to for the drop off and the pick up because we know what actually happens, right? Parents have a tendency to cut the rules a little bit.
3: You know, and and nobody's doing it on purpose. Nobody's out there to to cause these kind of rules to break, but at the end of the day, you know, we're we're all looking to get through it as quickly as possible. So Sometimes cars do go where they're not supposed to go. Sometimes you may see a shortcut that you think you can take. But we're just encouraging parents, don't. Just follow the rules. You know, and there's some other really uh, interesting things we can do as well. You could even consider leaving your car home or parking further away and walking into the school zone with your children. I mean, (laughs) it, it seems like a far out there concept, but a lot of parents are doing it. Uh, bike to school with your kids all of those things together can help ease uh, the congestion in that school zone
1: i also feel like for parents as well like we all get rushed right a lot of parents are probably heading back to work today and this week as well and i think we all just get stressed out and that just contributes to we have the best intentions like we want to do all those things that you're suggesting and then we start to run late and somebody forgets their lunch or somebody and it just turns into a big mess
3: a thousand percent i mean you know there are some other alternatives here you can ask your employer for some flexibility at, at bcaa we encourage all of our team members to work with their managers to see if maybe they can start a little later in the morning given that they would have to do drop off at, at our home office we have a, a no meeting zone before nine thirty a.m so that it avoids that temptation to rush while we still want people to leave early and, and add that extra time just knowing that your employer is not waiting for you or you're not going to miss that early morning meeting, that, that's a that's a huge boost to parents too. And it just adds a bit of calmness to the drive.
1: I like that. And no meeting zone before 930. You're right, because that's usually what parents are rushing for.
3: They're rushing to drop off the kid, get to school, do all the things that, that, that we're trying to get back to in our normal lives. Um, but that often leads to some dangerous situations. And we just want to make sure that you know, what's most important here, even more than dropping kids off on time, is making sure the kids are safe. Yeah,
1: so true. Sean, thank you so much for your time on
0: this. Thank you, Simmy. This is Mornings with Simmy.
1: We've got so many kids heading back to school. And a big reason why there was such a big push from health authorities to get kids back in school did have to do with kids and their mental health as well. To mention today is also World Suicide Prevention Day. So we thought because things are so different this, this time around, heading back to school, and I know parents are going to be listening very carefully to their kids to find out how they're doing, how they're adjusting. We thought, you know what, keeping track of your child's mental health is especially important this year. So we're going to be talking about that now. Joining us is Dr. Quinn Down, who's with BC Children's Hospital, an investigator and a pediatric emergency physician. Thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you. Good morning, Simi.
1: Now, I know you've launched a new study to talk about the impact of COVID-19 on children's mental health. Why was it so important, do you think, to take a look at this?
4: Uh, That's right. So uh, we know that um, it's been a really rough year for everyone. Uh, Kids don't always uh, spontaneously speak about their mental health. Sometimes they express their anxiety and their fears through other symptoms that are not always recognizable. And we also know that going back to school is something that can sometimes be anxiety-provoking for some kids. And so even identifying that there's issues and addressing them are important. But for me, uh, from the research perspective, getting to know how much of what is happening and where in the province also helps with resource allocation and creating the right resources that our kids need.
1: Right. So do you think that's going to be a factor then in the months and the years ahead? Because we keep hearing that keeping kids out of school, this pandemic, all of that is going to have an impact in the years ahead.
4: Um, That's what we are all anticipating. The reality is with previous pandemics, we didn't actually properly measure um, what it did on kids' mental health. But we also never had a pandemic that lasted this long that affected them so directly. And so it'll be important to measure the impact and so that we can adjust how we deal with that and put resources in place to address those needs.
1: Are there signs that parents can look for, Doctor? Like just things that they might recognize where their kids might be struggling a bit?
4: So there may be signs. Um, each kid will uh, express it differently. Some will have behavioral changes, maybe. Um, outbursts, maybe they'll just be a little bit more um, uh, quiet. Some kids will actually express their angst through physical symptoms, like unexplained pain, unexplained symptoms, uh, not in the context of injury or illness. So those may be signs. But the reality is, unless you ask directly what's going on in various aspects of a child's mental health, which our um, instrument does, it's kind of hard to pinpoint what's going on.
1: And so do you sit down with the kids one-on-one and ask them questions or like via, you know, through Zoom or whatever it is? Do you do it virtually?
4: Um, Through our study, it is a self-reported questionnaire that has been tested to be sensitive when done by kids themselves or by their parents. So it's funny to say, but kids these days are kind of more likely to divulge when interacting with a mobile device and uh, a questionnaire, than through telling a professional like a stranger. And so we found that it's been quite sensitive in prior studies when they conduct the My Hearts Map. They share quite a bit.
1: That is so interesting. So, when do you think you'll get some results on this?
4: We're hoping to do our first analyses uh, uh, at uh, three months, and then six months, and then nine months. We're collecting data for a total of six months of new uh, participants, but we check up on everybody three months after their first uh, assessment to see how they do through time. But we're also collecting data through the next six months, so we'll see how things are going through the population through time.
1: I look forward to hearing more. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you. So to join the study, they would have to go to our website. Oh, and what is the website? The website is My Heart's Map, spelled M Y H E A R T S N A P dash pandemic dot dot bcchr. All
1: right, thank you very much. Thank you very much.
0: This is Mornings with Simi.
1: Yep, it is up the door and out, out the door to school today for sure, and that is anxiety, stress causing for parents out there, for kids as well, for teachers. It has been a very busy couple of weeks and months getting to this point. So let's talk about this this morning with the help of our Education Minister, Rob Fleming, who joins us now. Good morning.
5: Good morning, Simmy.
1: How are you feeling on this back to school day?
5: <laughs> well, both as a parent and a minister, I'm feeling incredibly grateful to all the principals and vice principals and Superintendents and board office staff, and teachers and support staff, everybody who has given up uh, a lot of their time to be part of occupational health and safety committees, to redesign classrooms and schools, and all the work that's happened uh, across our 60 school districts and uh, and 1,600 schools right, right across BC. I, I, it's been a, it's been a massive amount of work to uh, to develop local plans and and school site specific plans and. I also appreciate the, the school system reaching out to parents the way they did, individually, electronically over the phone, and, and uh, finding out what options work best for their family. So it, it has been a lot. There's no question about it. Um, but uh, we're feeling really good about, uh, about some of the innovation we're seeing in the school system to keep people safe from COVID, restore learning and all the benefits that come with that in our communities.
1: Now we know that, of course, the next few weeks are going to be a time of waiting to see if we do get any cases as a result of schools as they have seen in other provinces. Do you expect that's going to happen?
5: I think it could happen. Uh, we are prepared for that. The, the BC Center for Disease Control has put out uh, very good guidelines, and local health authorities, which are the medical health officers for the school system, have been working with schools on on what to do uh, in those instances. So we know, um, but that has happened in other parts of the world, and you have to act quickly, and you have to act uh, with uh, a medical health team on the ground uh, immediately to, to uh, you know, to determine if those are are indeed symptoms of COVID, and isolate a student or staff member, get them home, monitor them, uh, test them if need be, and and uh, do an investigation if it's required. After that, uh, we certainly hope that uh, we don't see that, but. Uh, given what we've seen in in not just uh, other provinces, but uh, in other parts of the world. And And with 1,600 schools in the the school system in British Columbia, we have to be prepared everywhere uh, if if that, in fact, does happen.
1: And what we've heard from some of the other provinces as well is that they are going to identify those schools, so everybody will know that such and such a school in this place had a case of COVID-19. Can you commit that we will do the same here in B.C.?
5: Well, I'm going to leave that to the public health office because obviously they do identify workplaces or uh, residential care facilities uh, when they have to. An outbreak is two or more cases. So generally uh, outbreaks are uh, disclosed to anybody that that works or is involved in in a facility. Um, But they have to do it. You know, the the main thing is to have an investigation that determines uh, which individuals may have been exposed and to take steps to uh, protect them and uh, and protect uh, others to prevent further exposure. And that has to happen really, really quickly. And I was very pleased to see um, the comprehensiveness of the fall pandemic strategy released by uh, the Premier, Dr. Henry, and Minister Dix yesterday in terms of the types of resources we're going to have for everybody in British Columbia, uh, including the school system around enhanced testing and uh, And uh, contact tracing and and staffing up uh, our public health system to be able to start bending the curve down again in in British Columbia and and, and, uh, keep people uh, safe in our province, wherever they may uh, live or work.
1: So if an outbreak is two cases, though, if you have one case at a school, Mm -hmm. will all the parents know about that, even if they aren't in the same cohort or their child doesn't have contact with that
5: person? Again, they may depending on what the exposure risk is, um, but it will really be up to public health officials to uh, to make those kinds of determinations working with the school administration i mean for example if if a school had to be closed for cleaning, uh, one would think that that would be uh, something that would be uh, declared to uh, people who uh, work and, and learn in that in that school uh, but it would it would depend if it was an individual who was in a school, we had a couple of cases like this in, in the spring where staff members uh, were confirmed positive for COVID, but it was also determined that they hadn't been around anybody in the course of their job duties. And uh, and they were uh, isolated, uh, tested, and then uh, were uh, at home until they recovered right. from COVID.
1: Will that be dealt with, like, on a regional health authority basis?
5: That's right. So that's where the... Uh, That's where the staff and the uh, response uh, team would come from.
1: Okay, so then people have to look to their individual health authority to find out more information on that.
5: They have that. Uh, There's been a lot of really good contacts and briefings, um, Zoom meetings throughout the summer on exactly what these procedures look like uh, with school districts and health authorities.
1: Where are we at with PPE and face masks for teachers? I've, I've seen you know, on social media a lot of teachers saying their school has not provided them with something, even though they keep asking, is that money there? Should that be available to all teachers?
5: It absolutely should be available. It should be available for all students and, and staff. Um, teachers, support staff, administrators, uh, and students of all ages. And there's obviously required times when you must wear a mask, uh, especially when you can't keep physical distancing out of your learning group in common areas hallways um if there are multi-purpose spaces being used by different groups of students for example um you and and you can't physically distance you have to wear a mask uh so uh no that 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 is funded that is paid for supplied um we have procured that ppe uh, long ago so if there is a school or two out there that somehow has not uh distributed that yet that's uh, that's a concern to me, and we'll uh, we'll deal with that separately and help them uh, ensure that they have it today.
1: Okay. Yeah, I got a few messages. I saw about that. So, um, do you have anything to say to parents and teachers out there on this stressful day and how the next couple of weeks are going to go?
5: Yeah, and I, and I've been in a couple of schools, and and uh, it's it's been great to see teachers come up with really good solutions around um, how to use outdoor education as part of their learning plan, how to traverse the school, how they've laid things out, uh, the hand sanitizing stations they have in their classrooms now. It's been great to see um, uh, districts that have uh, portables, uh, all have portable hand washing stations uh, with them in a number of districts. Uh, So the supplies and the array of schools, I think people are going to be, students returning to school today are going to be pleasantly surprised. They're going to have to learn the new routines and pay attention and, and today and tomorrow is really about being COVID aware and uh, what the new normal looks like in school but uh, I think what we've been hearing from uh, lots of students and, and some uh, and, and staff because there have been some students back in certain locations this week is that, uh, is that seeing is believing and when they see the steps and the work that has gone into uh, organizing school and to changing routines and changing bell schedules it's a lot to absorb but it does give a lot of confidence and people need to understand how important the layers of protection are for themselves uh, and, uh, and for others. And that includes things like self-monitoring your symptoms each and every day. Uh, that's, that's the way we do things now in British Columbia in any line of work. And so uh, we hope, uh, and again, I was pleased that Minister Dix announced this yesterday, we hope for a, uh, a very mild uh, cold and flu season and to have 2 million vaccines available in B.C. I think is a very good step uh, education should be a priority area for uh, having people uh, get their flu shots this year, so we can um, we can try and manage um, COVID-like symptoms that aren't COVID and, and keep people learning and, uh, and keep people healthy. And, and the, the rules are there to uh, to do just that.
1: All right. Well, thank you for your time and listen. Uh, good luck as a parent today too.
5: Thank you so much, Simi.
0: This is mornings with Simi. So we
1: just heard in the last half hour from Education Minister Rob Fleming right here on the show, talking about back to school today, the plan the provincial government has put into place with the help of BC health officials and their hopes that this is going to go well. But it's been without, you know, not without speed bumps, that's for sure. So we wanted to talk about that now. Joining us is Dan Davies, the MLA for Peace River North and the official opposition critic for the education portfolio. Thanks for being back with us today. Hey, good morning, Timmy. So a lot of nervous, you know, parents and teachers and administrators out there today. Do you see any hiccups on the horizon?
6: <laughs> wow, uh, probably. And, uh, you know, I, I hosted a town hall yesterday and uh, listened to, you know, many <clears throat> concerned parents, many concerned teachers. Uh, we had uh, school uh, school trustees on the call, uh, quite a broad spectrum of folks on the call Still a lot of anxiety about what uh, today's going to look like. And, uh, you know, a lot of that uh, at the end of the day. And, and, you know, we've been saying this and I've been saying this since the very start is uh, due to a lack of uh, a, a robust plan that was supposed to be announced on July 29th.
1: And so you think it was just that not enough information at the very beginning, which kind of made people really unsettled about this?
6: Yeah, exactly. You know, it uh, initially, of course, the minister was going to put out a uh, an announcement uh, middle of August, and we said that didn't give people enough time to plan. Uh, he bumped it up to July 29th, and uh, you know, all we heard on July 29th was basically he kicked the can down the the road and passed the buck on to school districts to come up with a plan. Uh, you know, and and I commend school districts across the province who you know first and foremost have been extremely busy already. Uh, just organizing for you know for so many unknowns but then they had the you know the the task thrown on them and and school districts didn't find out also until the day of the announcement that uh, they had to do the complete plan for the school districts and you know one one of the things that we have been hearing on and on uh, since the start of this is there is no option for uh, people to do a hybrid option Uh, you know if, if they're looking at immune compromise whether it's the child or or a parent And and many families uh, have uh, multi-generational families within their homes. Their, you know, grandparents are at home. And and this has raised a lot of concern. There's no option for them other than to go into these large bubbles. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's created a uh, a lot of anxiety and a lot
1: of concern. So as of today, then, what do you think could be done better? What are you going to be looking for?
6: Well, I, again, I mean, we, we need to be having viable options for parents. And this is what we've been calling on since the very start. Uh, you know, one of the options, uh, well, the option that the minister and, and the premier both said is they do have options, and that's uh, distributed learning. Uh, we've seen distributed learning uh, uh, around the province. Many, many of them are taking waiting lists now. They're filled up. Uh, they, you know, uh, Minister Fleming cut $12 million out of uh, the IDL uh, uh, distributed learning, independent distributed learning back in May, uh, which is a, a unbelievable timing to, to do a $12 million cut. So we're calling for a restore of that $12 million, uh, more money and resources to distributed learning programs. And, you know, allow, allow schools, or not allow, schools, some schools around the, uh, around the province have created some virtual learning opportunities. Many have not, though. And what we're seeing already is disparity across the province. Uh, some, are, some are having that ability and some are not. There, there needs to be, or there should have been, this should have been part of the plan all along, mm-hmm. that school districts will provide some sort of virtual learning for those families that cannot safely attend classroom. And, and you know, me. another big concern is uh, folks that are looking at using uh, IDL or, or distributed learning uh, school type of a program, they're really worried about losing their spot in the brick-and-mortar school that their child uh, is attending. And if they want to come back maybe, <clears throat> let's say, in, in, in October, things are looking good, uh, they may not have a spot in the school. And y- you can imagine the yeah. stress that that is placing on families
1: uh, let me ask you as well here the issue of a COVID 19 case in a school you know what we are bracing ourselves we expect that there will be one at some point do you think that everyone should know then if there is a COVID 19 case in a school
6: you know i i i do uh you know and and we have seen that uh there has been uh, cases across the country uh, well, and, and every other jurisdiction that has returned to school, we've, we've been seeing that. Uh, you know, I, I think it's important, though. I, I mean, we understand that our kids need to be learning. Uh, I'm a father of two, two school-age kids. I'm a former school teacher. Uh, I get the importance of learning. I get the importance of having our children be in social, uh, socializing. But we have to do it safely.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
6: and we need to be looking at how can we best do that.
1: Are your kids uh, back you know, to school, kids- school today as well?
6: Well, my kids are back to school, and, and like I say, British Columbia is pretty geographically diverse uh, up here in Peace River North. Uh, we've had very limited cases of, of COVID-19 yeah. throughout the entire pandemic. Uh, so it's going to look a little different here, as it will in Smithers or, or, or Terrace or in Vancouver or Victoria. It, it is going to look different, and, and I think that needs to be looked at, and, and, and the ability to work with the local health authorities a, as well, on, on making decisions moving forward because, you know, when we see blanket, blanket direction, blanket policies, cookie-cutter approaches, it uh, doesn't matter what it is, they often don't work across the province. So that is something that I think needs to be looked at closely.
1: All right, Dan, listen, thanks for your time today and best of luck to your kids going back to school.
6: My pleasure. Stay safe, everyone, and watch School Zones.
1: Oh, yes, that's a good advice, too. That's Dan Davies, the BC Liberal MLA for Peace River North, official opposition critic for education there, talking about the ways in which we can improve this kind of stressful time of heading back to school. If you want to weigh in, please do. Simi at cknw.com.
0: This is Mornings with Simi.
1: A lot of things have changed during the COVID-19 pandemic. One of the biggest, of course, has to do with the way we travel Air travel, just not what it was before all of this began. And now because of that, we're going to be seeing some changes at Vancouver International Airport. For more on that, we're joined by the CEO out at YVR. It's Tamara Vrooman who joins us now. Thank you for being here.
7: Yes, good morning, Simi. What are
1: some of these plans that you're uh, kind of putting a stop to right now?
7: Well, we had a big expansion plan for many of our facilities that were developed uh, three or four years ago when we were experiencing really double-digit growth in air travel. And since COVID, uh, as we all know, uh, travel people have been traveling less, and so it just makes sense to put a stop to some of our uh, major projects because we simply don't need them in the short term.
1: Do you, Does that mean that you feel like airline travel isn't really going to rebound in the short term?
7: I think we're starting to see that there is interest in people wanting to travel again. But, of course, uh, as long as the borders stay closed, as long as there's uh, quarantines in place, and until we really have uh, consistent testing and tracing across our system, uh, most people are saying they're going to wait until those protocols are in place. For people who do have to travel, you know, we put a lot of improvements uh, into our airport operations from safety to extra technology around sanitizing surfaces uh, to a testing protocol with a uh, pilot with WestJet for domestic flights. But overall, we see people very interested in when they can travel again, but still at this time waiting until some of those eight, uh, changes related to COVID take place.
1: And if things do bounce back, is, is the plan flexible? Can you then say, all right, we better put these construction plans back on track?
7: Yeah, the construction plan that we uh, announced our intention to terminate uh, yesterday is a very, very large project. Uh, For those people who have been at YBR lately, you'll Mm -hmm. recognize it. It's a large one to create a large parking facility and a a district energy system really pretty much right at the front door of the airport. And so we're uh, shutting it down in a way that, of course, maintains uh, our first priority, which is the safety of the site. It's a large industrial site. But also in a way that when traffic does return, we can pull it off the shelf. Uh, Our investments made to date uh, aren't wasted and we can start building again.
1: So is it just going to kind of stay like that, half built?
7: Yeah, that's one of the greatest challenges. Uh, It is a large industrial site, and it is, as I said, right at the front door of the airport. So we'll be looking for ways uh, to make sure that, of course, first and foremost, it's safe, but also that we're going to do some plantings and some things around it to to make it look attractive. We've had one suggestion of maybe uh, partnering with some of the landscape architecture students out at UBC uh, to see what great creative ideas they have for really a, a very unusual situation.
1: It is a very unusual situation. Uh, Thank you for telling us about it this morning and best of luck.
7: Thanks very much, Simi. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. That's That's Tamara Vrooman, the CEO out at YVR. You've seen the huge construction project as you drive up to the airport. Heck, you can't miss it driving up there. So that project is essentially being stopped as it is right now. Because of the change in airline travel, and they're going to put that on hold, see what happens over the next couple of years. But yeah, it is going to be challenging because it's, as Tamara Vrooman said, right there on the front steps of Vancouver International Airport.
0: This is Mornings with Simi.
2: We want everybody um, who is able to have an influenza vaccine to to take it this year to protect themselves and their family. And we know that this vaccine is safe. We know that people in British Columbia are very aware about respiratory infections right now. We know that um, the symptoms of influenza and COVID, especially early on, can be very similar. So we all want to stay healthy during this coming season, more so than ever.
1: That's Dr. Bonnie Henry yesterday talking about the government announcement that they will be buying nearly 2 million doses of the flu vaccine for this fall. So how important is it to get that flu vaccine? And what does that mean for the potential COVID-19 vaccine as well? So joining us now to talk more about this is Dr. Horatio Bach, who's an infectious disease expert at UBC. Thank you so much for joining us. Hello, good morning. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I know that you were on the front lines of this, right? You're working on a special project to help develop antibodies in the lab. What is that work? Tell us about that.
8: Yeah, that's correct. So what we are developing now is a, a cocktail of synthetic antibodies that we produce in the lab. And the idea is to administer that to directly to the lung, like a kind of in, inhaler. So this antibody will reach the lung, and the virus, as you know, cannot multiply outside the cell. It Needs to be internalized or infect the cell in order in order to multiply. So our idea is to block these viruses from uh, infecting new cells by covering them with the antibodies. So that's a way that you block, uh, physically block the entrance of the virus into the. The infected cell.
1: Interesting. Okay, so let's talk about the flu vaccine here as well, Dr. Bach. How important sure, sure. is it, do you think, this year for people to get the flu vaccine?
8: Uh, in my opinion, it's very important that uh, everyone that is uh, uh, eligible to take uh, will get the vaccine. Um, we are getting this vaccine for so many years, and since we are in the area of uh, the, the hospital, we we need to take as well. Of course, it's not mandatory, but I am uh, always a. a, a very, um, um, It's very important for me to take the vaccine. Uh, vaccine is giving you immunity. It's very safe. We are getting that for many years. And the good stuff at this vaccine is covering different types of the influenza virus or flu, what we call. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not only one, it's a group. So at the moment you get vaccinated, so you prevent you to have these flu-like symptoms that can be confounded with the COVID-19 at this point. So it's very important because if you get the, the flu, basically, um, you can exacerbate or increase potential infection that can be bacterial infection right. or other type of uh, chronic uh, issues. Yeah.
1: But will the flu, cold and flu season, do you think be as bad as it usually is? Or because of all the measures we're taking for COVID-19, maybe it won't be as bad?
8: Well, that's a good question. Maybe. So we need to wait for the season to see. Uh, definitely the people and specifically here in BC who are very, very uh, precocious about that. Disinfecting, social distance. I agree. Um, I hope that it's not going to be so hard that the, you know, we don't see in general outside the population because it's more in the risky population. You see the people that need to go to the hospitals, but definitely you know, everyone can get that. Uh, I hope that will be reduced, as you mentioned, because uh, we are taking extra uh, uh, precaution today and, you know, the, use the mask as well. That's very important.
1: Okay. So would you recommend that people get this flu vaccine?
8: Definitely. It's it's good because um, we don't know yet, but you may have also co-infection COVID-19. So when you will have this, the flu-like symptoms, you don't know if it's the flu right. or if it's the COVID-19. So at least if you can erase one of these two factors for the equation, that will be great. So uh, definitely it's safe and, you know, we get vaccinated all the time. There is no side effect, except that uh, they will ask people, we know, when they need to get the vaccine because some of them are producing eggs. Uh, if you have any allergy, of course, so that will be a, a, a no maybe, but definitely you have to be alert what are the ingredients um, that they are not, uh, you know, in, as part of the vaccine that you may be allergic, but beside that, it's very safe.
1: Are you hopeful for a COVID nineteen vaccine?
8: Um, well, the COVID nineteen vaccine, I don't think we'll have a, we'll have it very soon. It will take a long shot, and then, as you know, the yesterday, two days ago, uh, Pfizer stopped the the yes. the studies, the phase of uh, the the vaccine, and. Again, we don't know. You know, these side effects will come after a while. That's the reason need to be monitored at least one year because if you get the vaccine and you get you know an extra disease because of that vaccine, people will start to think, should I get the vaccine or not? Yeah. You know, so it's it's a problem. That's the reason need to be very well established and studied and, and controlled. That's very important. And still, you know, we are working on that and still when there will be the massive vaccination We still need to get uh, extra time to see if it's covering, if the antibodies Mm -hmm. are keeping for uh, the time we want, and so on.
1: Lots of work to do. Dr. Bach, thank you for your time.
8: Thank
0: you so much. Have a great day.
1: You too. That's Dr. Horatio Bach, infectious disease expert at UBC. Up next, it's Michael Campbell.
0: This is Mornings with Simi.
1: All right, let's talk about rats. A very uncomfortable issue for so many people out there, and it's not surprising to hear that, yes, our city does have a lot of rats. Just how many? Well, according to Orkin, the pest control people, turns out Vancouver has the most reported infestations in Canada. Now, Trina Butler is the Vancouver branch manager at Orkin Canada and had a chance to speak to our Nikki Reitmeyer. So how did Vancouver rank on the list of cities in canada with the most rats
9: we are ranked number one and this is the fourth consecutive year in a row yay we're number one i know (laughs) good for us
1: (laughs) now unfortunately five bc cities were in the top five
9: yes they were uh we had victoria following up uh, and then burnaby richmond and surrey that makes up the top five cities on the list
1: So what's going on in British Columbia that five BC cities make up the top five cities ranked for having the biggest rodent problems?
9: Well, rodents, particularly rats, I mean, in port cities and cities with a lot of water, that's where you're going to find a lot of rodents. Um, In downtown Vancouver, for example, we had uh, the pandemic which hit us. And then with the pandemic, a lot of the restaurants shut down and that was the rodent's main food source. Um, and when that happened the rodents started traveling they needed to move because their food source was gone so then we're seeing a bigger influx of rodents in the residential sector Uh, people are at home more they're eating more they're having more garbage so the rodents were moving more into the residential so now we have new clients calling in we're seeing the rodents spreading and as well as downtown the rodents are leaving their food sources to search for other food sources and gnawing their way in and infesting other buildings and that's where we're getting a lot more calls um for the rodents great (laughs) (laughs) i know (laughs) plus also i mean the streets are at were emptier as well right so the rodents now are out roaming or or were roaming free um and, and able to travel a lot easier than they were in the past
1: so what can a person do then if they want to make their home a little bit more secure or their business to prevent rodent infestations
9: yeah, I feel that what I speak on now would go for homes and businesses and, and to start with we want to really make sure that our exterior of our home or business is well protected. You want to seal any cracks or holes, um, use some caulking and also uh, use more of a copper wool or a steel wool. If you use a foam the rodents will just chew right through that expanding foam and use it as a nesting material. Uh, And also your doors, you want to make sure you got a good seal on the bottom of your doors uh, because rats, again, can fit through the side of a quarter and mice can fit through the size of a dime. So we want to make sure that all of that's sealed up. You want to keep your shrubbery at least a meter away from your home or business exterior to prevent the rodents from burrowing and nesting in there and less getting closer uh, to the side of your building and having a quiet hiding spot to gnaw away at that siding you wanna eliminate any moisture uh, sources such as clogged gutters. Again, rats need a lot of water to survive. So if, if they have their, their shelter and their water right there, they're not gonna go anywhere. Keep your food areas clean, your prep areas, clean inside your home and business thoroughly. Clean up spills and, and, um, and, and crumbs and also your trash, whether it be inside or outside. Make sure that those dumpsters are well sealed off. Uh, your organics containers, are washed out. Anything with a smell is going to attract those rodents to your home or business.
1: Is there a certain time of year when we see more rodent activity
9: inside homes, inside businesses? In the colder months, once the temperature starts to drop, we need to remember that our rats and mice don't have winter coats. So they are looking for three main things. They're looking for food, they're looking for shelter, and they're looking for, uh, you know, water or or a place to harbor. Um, So you want to make sure that in the wintertime when it starts to get cold that you have everything sealed off. Okay. So they've
1: enjoyed their summers partying at the beach and now they want to come in and sit by your fireplace.
9: Exactly. And eat your food. <laughs> um, well, Hey Trina, thank you so much. I'm number one again. Hopefully we're number one on another list. Yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, thank <laughs> yeah. you so much. No problem. You take care, Nikki.
1: Watch out for those rats in your neighborhood. In fact, there were quite a few communities in the Lower Mainland that made the Orkin top 20 list, unfortunately. So don't be thinking, aha, Vancouver, you're number one. Burnaby, Surrey, Maple Ridge, they were all up there in the top 10 as well.